And the conversation was that because of this loss, we have to let go of about 120 people in the organization. And I remember it was myself, another, there were three of us in the room who asked the question because there were three other pitches that were happening in the next month. And I asked the question, what if we win all those three? What will happen? And the finance guy said, you know, if you win all those three, that's more money than what we lost. So we got out of the, halfway out of that meeting and I said, we're going to go and win these three pitches. And we did that. And we saved the 120 employees plus brought in more revenue than before. That was a game changer for us as an agency and for me personally as well, because it kind of put the responsibility not off, am I going to win a pitch or lose a pitch, but it became about the people. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights for each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, Lead the Team Nation. I've got a great one in store for you today with Anoush Prabhu, who is the U.S. Chief Strategy Officer and the Global Chief Strategy Officer for Creative Transformation for Mediacom. He's actually a proven business accelerator with 20 years of experience setting visions and delivering strategic solutions for agencies and their clients. Anoush has been an instrumental part of the transformational growth of Mediacom way back since 2017, leading it to become the fastest growing media agency and being awarded Agency of the Year three times during that period. He's also been credited for helping shape several of the agency's offerings, including Creative Systems, which provides platform-first creativity that drives relevance. And we all want that and growth. And we definitely want that for growth, such uh, for organizations like Dell, who's also a client of mine, Pokemon, and PNG. And yes, Pokemon. I did say Pokemon. He has on he has been honored as an Adweek's media all-star, Adweek Young Influencer, International Innovator, and an integrated marketing influencer over the years. And he's also an ardent champion of diversity and inclusion, advocating for the causes of, or advocating for the cause in industry of boards. Anoush, awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you, Ben. I will say that, that you are a marvelous announcer and I feel like I should carry your voice around with me every time. Uh, we'll get you pumped but- up. You can just listen to that over and over again. <laughs> just remember all those things. Yeah, no, it sounds like a, a really fantastic background and uh, delighted to have you on today. So let's let's start back at the beginning, shall we? What was your first job and how does it influence your leadership today? Well, my first job uh, back in school was uh, actually as a market research person. I, I was growing up in India and and... I joined this market research firm during the summer um, of of one of my school years. And back then it wasn't all digital. It wasn't where we could just call up anyone and conduct. And I literally had to go door to door. Uh, 
and conduct. I had this research questionnaire with me and I would knock on doors and basically have a conversation with the, with the household member trying to fill out those questionnaires. And I think it was an invaluable exercise. Number one, uh, it told me that you could run into weird strangers in, in people's homes. So you got to be careful, but, but apart careful. But apart from that, I think it taught me a valuable lesson, especially in marketing and in everything that we do, the importance of listening to people and the human insights that that offers. Uh, and it has helped me in my career in advertising where uh, creating ideas, creating solutions for a client is so connected to what the consumers need and understanding those needs mm. is such a critical part. But even on my day-to-day -day job, uh, dealing with people is such a critical aspect that you need to be able to understand and read and listen to them. Uh, mm -hmm. And listening is such a, a hard task these days when, when everyone just wants to speak uh, their three seconds on, on an Instagram or, or Facebook video uh, that we forget uh, the importance of listening. So, so that was a valuable uh, piece for me. Yeah, that, that is absolutely huge. And I love how you got that do a dose of that at a young age, because no doubt it informs you along the way. And if you're not listening to your consumers, then your marketing campaigns are probably not going to be very effective, right? Because you'll be making your decisions and your creative, taking your creative mindset or your creative approach towards what you think is the right thing to do. That is, fully informed with that is correct. That is correct. Even some of the most uh, iconic brands uh, and marketing groups make that mistake all the time. And it's easy for us to, to be very product driven uh, mm -hmm. because we have something to sell uh, and we forget that we need to be uh, connecting it and making it relevant to the consumer in some form. Otherwise, it's not going to be, we're not going to be doing a great job of if, selling it in the first place. If you can reveal it, uh, what did you learn from listening to the customer for Pokemon? Well, for Pokemon, uh, I, I think the, the, for the longest time, uh, Pokemon has always been connected to music uh, and the mm -hmm. world of gaming has been connected to music. Mm. So the connection that consumers had with music and how it kind of played a role and how they interacted with the game was so critical. And there was a history behind it. Uh, that as we went about uh, thinking of how they should celebrate their 25th anniversary and what we should make uh, of it, it became uh, an inextricable part of our solution to make it connected to music. Uh, so one of the things that we did, and, and this was one of the first of its kind where the metaverse met the real world. So it was not only connecting to the consumer from a music perspective, but also during the last two years, we had gotten more digital as a lifestyle and we weren't out mm. there in the real world and we needed to kind of provide a, a solution that not only connected with that real world, not only connected with the music, uh, but also we brought it to life uh, via digital uh, execution, a digital event, if you will, um, that uh, some of the music stars played, uh, including Post Malone played a huge role in. So it became oh, wow. one of our most successful efforts. Pokemon obviously saw great outcomes. Uh, but importantly, as well, uh, they won uh, uh, a gold lion uh, in entertainment, uh, which is one of the first for a media agency as well. And, mm -hmm. and they recently won an a, a Webby for it, a few clear awards. 
so it's been recognized not only uh, as, a, as a great example, but also delivered some great outcomes for the client. So instead of just building your campaign around what we know about Pokemon, you're listening to the customer, you're saying that, hey, they're going in to this metaverse world, uh, which I've heard some crazy stories about gaming and them having like virtual events inside yeah. the game for concerts and... I mean, it's that correct. That is that is correct. More and more, uh, we see this in our everyday walks of life. Uh, the real world and digital world is colliding more than ever before, and everything that we used to play, entertain, work, uh, do in the real world is now uh, a world that we also are living in in the digital universe. Uh, so, as a company, as a brand, uh, even for our employees understanding the reality that they live in, uh, that it is a hybrid lifestyle uh, and the amount of time they spend on their phones uh, in worlds that are more exciting and interesting and how brands connect with those worlds is so critical for us uh, so, to think about in the future. So you're leading your team and you're leading your customers into a space that's rapidly evolving and didn't exist, I don't know, a year and a half ago? Two years ago, really? Uh, what what advice do you have for people, or what is your guiding light that you're trying to hold on to as you lead a team and your customers through something that's, I mean, we don't really know what it's going to be like in a year, unless you're like a real have a really accurate crystal ball, which I'm not sure anyone really does. Yeah, I, I think we kind of know based on everything that we see in our data, based on trends that are happening, uh, you know, fractions of where it is going. We, we see what, what we have a hypothesis of where uh, things are going. We may not know definitively what turn it takes, mm -hmm. uh, but we know, for example, especially in the world of advertising and media, uh, you can't rely on just ads anymore. Uh, number one, consumers are, you know, taking active interest in avoiding them. Uh, foreign yeah, they don't trust them, right? They're trusting them less, I suspect. Trusting them less as, as well as paying less attention to them. Just, okay, yeah, let's uh, say they've been bombarded by so much for so long, they're tuning them out. And they, they have less of an attention span where they want to get to the content that they want. So four in 10 would actually pay money to avoid ads. Uh, and that's the universe we live in. And in addition, uh, it, the world of media has gotten so fragmented uh, that channels that we used to rely on to, to connect with consumers through ads have lost a little bit of its reach, like broadcast TV, for example, and people are spending more time in other sources of video. So mm -hmm. as we think about this universe and how we connect with brands, media integration and thinking of creativity in media and how we use those media platforms to connect with consumers has gained a lot more prominence and importance and one could argue even more effective than just straight ads. So as we think about how we need to con connect with consumers, as we think about creativity, we need to kind of transform how we used to operate. Because if you think about the old world of creativity, everyone was trying to build uh, this car of the future, uh, understanding that the world was changing, but they were all building it on a wrong chassis. We were still, thinking of the old chassis of ads and, and other conduits that we used to use when the new chassis to, con to build this new car on is essentially tech, data, and media. 
Mm. So mm. we need to kind of think about transforming and making ourselves as brands and marketers more relevant based on this new chassis. And, and that is what we kind of speak to our clients about and speak to ourselves about. We as an agency have been transforming as well that we used to be a media agency, uh, but today we want to, we are, we are trans- transitioning to more of a total communications so, agency. So what are the mistakes that leaders are making in this space right now? Like they've got to get their team thinking differently, building on a different chassis. What's the big, biggest mistake that you see? I think the, the, the biggest mistake is, is, uh, the, the notion that you have to have all the answers before you make a move. Ooh. Okay. So the, the, uh-huh. the fact is that you need to start making changes based on what you are reading in the landscape and trust your gut towards that versus, uh, you know, always trying to kind of prove everything and, and having that fear that without the proof, I cannot move. Uh, you have learned along the way uh, that your gut uh, works. And that is why most leaders are where they are. Uh, and mm. it's not all based on data alone. There, there is a, there's a joke, uh, kind of a slightly longish one, and, and you can cut it out. Uh, but as a data guy growing up, uh, we used to talk about this, where there's this old uh, man walking down the street and it's a dark street and right outside, uh, you know, a bar, along the way is a street lamp. And that is the only light in that street. And as this man is walking, there's this drunk guy trying to kind of look for something. So the man goes towards the guy and he's like, what's going on? You seem you know, drunk and you're looking for something. How can I help you out? So he says, well, I dropped my home keys. So he's like, all right, let me help you. And the both of them start looking for this, this guy's keys. And a minute later, this guy is like, I are you sure you dropped your keys over here? I can't see them. So the drunk guy says, well, actually I dropped it over there, but this is where the light is. <laughs> right? So we tend to look for answers that only can be measured, only can be seen properly. But the fact is that that is not where all the answers lie. And sometimes you have to go towards places that may seem darker, uh, but have a promising opportunity or an outcome. Uh, because I'll tell you, that others have, have carved the way. Uh, we are not at a place where uh, you know, nobody has tried these new paths and junctures. We have enough proof to know what works out there in, the la- in this new landscape. And it's, it's important for everyone to kind of start the, opening that. This, this adage of trusting your gut uh, is interesting because it's, first of all, it sounds risky. Yeah. And a lot of leaders may be saying, yeah, I mean, Anoush, I agree trusting my gut. I especially trust that if I've got all this data that says I need to do X, Y, Z, because I can blame the data if yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah. When you start making decisions on gut, it gets hard to point the finger at other people if it doesn't go well. So it you know, no, it I, I, feels risky. It does feel risky. Um, I have three things to say on that. Number one is uh, in today's environment, if you're being too safe, that is riskier because the opportunity cost lost of, of uh, not doing uh, and, and making yourself more relevant as marketers is much higher uh, than staying still and the inertia around with it. Mm. Number two is that 
you need to trust your gut. That does not mean that you should not look at all the data that is available today, right? You, you, you first look at the evidence and facts that you see around you that is outside the box uh, that you play in and then make your gut decisions. Uh, I'm not saying make decisions devoid of any information. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. silly. Number three is that you need to understand that you are not the sole expert, uh, that you need to trust the gut of other leaders around you that you mm -hmm. have kind of uh, you know, accumulated along the way, whether it is your agencies, whether it is your strategic partners, uh, because they know things, they have seen things, they have proven things for other clients that you potentially have not. So I, I think, uh, you know, th th it's not like you're operating in the dark. Uh, there is enough light for you to kind of uh, walk to, towards yeah. this. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Yeah, I like that. First of all, it may feel risky, but what's riskier is not doing anything. Yeah. Because the universe, the metaverse, as we were talking about, but really the business environment in general is changing so fast. You got to keep moving forward. But I like the fact that you you clarify that trusting your gut doesn't mean you're just kind of a gunslinger, lone ranger out by yourself. You're still, you know, in, having your gut in, uh, influenced by the numbers, by the people around you, by your team. That's why you have a team. Yeah. Uh, and uh, using that to help drive your your decisions forward. And uh, the research that I've looked at, Anush, and I'd be, I'd be interested in your opinion on this, talks about the different levels of the brain. And what I've read is uh, research that says decision-making uh, ultimately comes from the limbic part of the brain, which doesn't respond to rational thought or numbers anyway. So yeah, then it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's the thinking fast, thinking slow. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know whether you've read that book. That that has the same, uh, mm -hmm. same uh, you know, uh, uh, moral uh, that you talked about. And, and at the end of the day, we do believe as humans, we make a lot of rational decisions, but most of it are emotional. <laughs> uh, but yeah. even the emotional decision is conditioned by a lot of learning. Hmm. That most of the decisions we make is not devoid of learning. It's not devoid of practice. Uh, it is from your years of experience that has kind of conditioned your brain to think faster in certain aspects uh, versus not. And, and there is a reason that you act faster in those scenarios because you have enough knowledge in your brain to act on it. So, so even as you look at data, there is a reason parts of that data sing to you. And there is a part of uh, you that says, hey, you know, my gut tells me that that's gonna work because you have been in that journey before. All right. So. I love this idea of trusting your gut and we're, we're getting close to hundred episodes and I cannot believe we haven't talked about this before on the, on the show. <laughs> uh, so if you'll play with me a little bit, so we got to, so say we got a team and 
they are so like mired down in the data and they've got analysis paralysis. You say, Hey team, need to train to trust our gut a little bit about this. Uh, and you want to encourage developing this in your team. Uh, what advice would you have for a leader? Who's like, man, my team doesn't stand a chance trusting their gut because we've penalized them so much in years past, uh, for making wrong decisions, making mistakes. They're terrified to do anything outside the data. Uh, what, uh, what advice would you give them? No, it's a, to me, like everything stands back to the culture that you create in your organization. Hmm. And if you are creating a culture of fear uh, around failure, uh, right off the bat, that is a culture that is doomed to fail, hmm. to drive your business, to drive your growth. If you are not creating a culture where people can fail and learn, because failure is the biggest teacher. So, so to me, that is the primary thing that you as a leader need to do with your people, with your organization, is to ensure that people have enough uh, leeway in their day-to-day -day jobs to experiment and try and, and fail a little bit. Mm. Um, the notion of failing harder uh, is something that you, you see in some of the, the most iconic corporations, and, and that is why they are iconic and successful, because they have tried and failed uh, in many respects. Mm -hmm. but number two is that you got to be data-driven in everything that you're doing. But that data needs to lead to larger thinking of, so what? What does that really tell you? Mm. What is the bigger picture that they, that data is really informing you around? What is the bigger human insight that it is pointing towards that is not just about, hey, this worked better than that, but did you try something else around it? Right. Mm. And have you experimented with thoughts that that perhaps were in your gut, but you never tried it out because you were you were scared to do it. So so to me, the, the biggest uh, push that I would say to that person is, is, is it first starts with culture. That culture beats yeah. everything that you're going to do. What's uh, the culture you're creating as a leader? Yeah. And yeah, you, if you if the culture is one of fear and high stakes all the time, you want to introduce this conversation on, Hey, you need to trust your gut a little more. They might look at you like you are crazy. Yeah. Uh, so start with cult, the culture first, maybe before going deep down on that conversation and think about how you're addressing failure in the past. And, and this is not just for a leader, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, I had just started at this company that I won't name. Um, and I was a month in, we were in a new business pitch uh, for uh, a famous brand. And I'd come into this organization as an outsider with, with different training. And since I was leading the pitch, I had come in with a way of presenting that was very different and a way of telling the story and how we leaned into it that was very different than how this organization was used to. And my boss was like, this is not going to work, Anish. It might have worked in your other organization, but this is not going to work. Wow. During and, the presentation? No, no, no. Before the presentation. Oh, before. before. So you were coming before. in and that did the day off. He's like, no, we're not doing that. The day before he was like, this is not going to work. Oh. And I was like, I said, this is going to work. 
well. <laughs> uh, I trust my gut. And I'll tell you that this will work. And, and I stood by my gut. And we walked into the room and we had a great presentation. We won the pitch. Hmm. And sometimes I have to, A, the fact that I stood up to my boss in that was, was something that I would encourage all people to do is that your boss is not always right. You definitely need to kind of go back and make an effective argument uh, to anything that you're doing uh, because there's a reason you are an employee. It's not because you just follow orders because your brain is valuable and the way you think and your point of view is valuable to any organization. But number two, I also have to give it to my boss who, despite the fact that he felt early on that maybe this is not gonna work, he still was okay with the potential of failing because he trusted my gut a little bit in that instinct. So, so there is a, there's a lot of exchange that, that goes on in our day-to-day -day work that requires a trusting relationship. And sometimes the, the culture of being open to failure, whether it is for your own decision or someone else's decision and letting them go with it, despite the high stakes of like millions of dollars in a pitch, we did it. And wow. It you must have had a lot of courage in that moment uh, to do that. Uh, but like, or stupidity. I, I or don't know. <laughs> there, or just like brazen <laughs> stupidity. No, but I, I do think um, for someone to stand up to their boss, it does help to have trust established with your boss, although you were new in that company. That is correct. So you must have had a pretty good vibe or you just felt like, hey, if I'm going to be at this company long term, I might as well let them see my true colors right now. And, I, I uh, wasn't see how thinking I that far. I wasn't thinking that far. I was thinking I was playing the battle that was right in front of me. I wasn't thinking about the war later on. And, and that is all you can do is that, like you are the best when you're fighting the battle right in front of you. Mm. Wow. Good, good, good advice for people. Be fully present in the moment. Bring your best and uh, be, be aware and then have that courage to have those conversations. Uh, and it, but yeah, I, I love how you flipped it on its head and say, yeah, because now your employees are going to hear your interview. <laughs> so they're going to say, Anoush, I'm going to stand up to you when I disagree with you. No, they, uh, they know that already. Uh, okay. and, and, you know, they're, they're in, in our groups when we kind of get together and, and in the organization, we've kind of really established uh, not just people like me uh, or uh, people like my boss or anyone else, but we try and bring in a very diverse set of people, not just in terms of skin color and all that stuff, but thought process as well. Uh, so that together we can come up and complement each other and come up with things that just me or, or him or you could not have come up with. So, um, so what do you do when someone disagrees with you uh, and you feel like you're right, but they're like, you know, they're pulling in a noosh. <laughs> they're disagreeing. I'm, How do you handle I, it? I keep myself open to learning. Okay. I keep myself open to different points of views because that argument might be better than the thought I have in my head. Yeah. 
Because unless, especially if you think about everything going on, the metaverse, and like there are these young employees in, in our organization that live in the world a lot more than I do. So for me to yeah. think that I know more than them would be very foolish. Mm. I have to learn from them. Otherwise, we will fail. I love it. I love yeah. it. It goes back to one of your answers earlier where you're talking about the culture you're creating, right? They feel emboldened to do more. Like if you're, if you're listening to them and they see their ideas being a part of your thought process and you being open, they're going to double down on experiencing the metaverse on reading about it because they feel like they're, they're making a difference in the company. Yeah. They're going to engage themselves versus you begging them to be engaged because they thought they're part of the process. Like a virtuous cycle. Well, we do a lot of work around the catastrophic cost of turnover and trying to reduce that for companies. And right now it's just, it's just crazy out there. Our research shows it can cost companies over $235,000 per employee per year when they turn over. Do you think this is a cost that, that uh, organizations should be tracking? Oh, no doubt. Uh, any organization uh, that is serious about its growth, uh, has to track it. Uh, number one is that if there is anything that is a good indicator of how well your organization is doing is your people. Mm. And it is an indicator, especially turnover, like there's some turnover that is natural, but you need to keep an eye on what is unnatural for your business, for your organization, mm. for your industry, because it, it is an indication of whether you are instilling a culture of belonging whether your employees feel like that they are part of an organization that they look in the mirror and say, you know, yes, that is me. And that exactly is a place that I belong in. Number two, are we getting, am I getting enough respect in the position that I'm, you know, uh, involved in? Am I getting enough money? All those are factors that, that are key uh, to any organization. Mm -hmm. And it is not just, the business aspect today uh, that, that, that we might lose out on is the larger uh, domino effect it could have yeah. that we need to start yeah. recognizing. Once a time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Well, I, I'll tell you two stories. Uh, on that front, I, I started my career in advertising. I had an MBA uh, coming out of a college here. And my first job was an, as an assistant account executive in an advertising agency. It was in this agency called Deutsch uh, that was really doing amazingly well. I still call that agency part of my family. And I started off in account management. I hated it. Uh, I hated the job so much because I felt like I wasn't using, at least in my head, what I wanted to do in this world of advertising. I wasn't contributing. I, I was thinking in terms of like status reports and things like that, that, that I was potentially bored of. And, and that then made me suck at my job. Yeah. And I remember one of my bosses calling me in. Uh, he was one of the heads of uh, partners in the agency. And he called me in and said, Anoush, you're not going anywhere in account management, you want to try something else. Uh, and, and I was doing and experimenting with digital data at that time. 
And he was like, you know, the, the guy who heads up direct data uh, wants to kind of work with you because he's seen what you do and we want to expand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that taught me two things. Number one, uh, as a boss, keep an eye on hidden talents of your employees. Mm. Don't just look at the face value of what they are doing on their current job. Is there something else in them that can really, you know, light up uh, not only their career, but your success and your organization success? Because that's what happened to me later on. Because once I started getting into that other field that I didn't even know I was good at, uh, I then, you know, exploded into what I really wanted to do and was good at. Uh, The second uh, example I'll give you was a more recent one uh, where I joined this organization. It was about six months in. We had won a few pitches, but there was this massive pitch and and it was an internal client uh, that we had. And we did really well in the pitch, but lost on some of the, the money conversations right? Mm. And ended up losing that pitch. We were sitting as an executive committee. uh, And the conversation was that because of this loss, we have to let go of about 120 people in the organization. And I remember it was myself, uh, another, uh, there were three of us in the room who asked the question, because there were three other pitches that were happening in the next month. And I asked the question, what if we win all those three? What will happen? And the finance guy said, you know, if you win all those three, that's more money than what we lost. So we got out of the halfway out of that meeting. Uh, and I said, we're going to go and win these three pitches. And we did that. And we saved the 120 employees plus brought in more revenue than before. And that was, a, that was a game changer for us as an agency and for me personally as well, because it kind of put the responsibility not off, am I going to win a pitch or lose a pitch, but it became about the people. That there was a sense of responsibility in all of us in that room that we just could not, there were people's lives at stake and not just the brands or clients that we wanted to think about. And that was the starting point of changing not only how we looked at a pitch, how we looked at uh, our employees and the culture of the place, it led to a a lot of massive change in that organization. So uh, again, both of those were failures that I, we learned a lot from. Well, I just did too. (laughs) Uh, Those are great. So just to replay that, looking for the hidden talent, first of all, of your direct reports. I think that is a beautiful thing. It's, I think it's better when the employees can say, I don't like what I'm doing and I want to make a change. Can I try this? But let's be honest, unless you're like done and work with an executive coach for years uh, or you're done lots of work, your employees are probably not going to always know that. So get out of that dream world and start taking on that mantle of, okay, what are the hidden talents and helping guide them. And I love that uh, you sort of building on that moment and you've reflected on that as a leader. And now you're doing that for your employees and man, saving 120,000 jobs in that moment 
because you had uh, a vision uh, of, of possibility. And I think too many times, no offense to finance, we need finance, but they are so looking at, they're looking at the sure thing, you know, they're looking at sure thing for finances and they're looking at today. And sometimes it does take a bigger vision to unify everyone and say, Hey, if we win this, this is what's possible. So let's make some decisions on supporting that vision. And I mean, bringing it back, what we're talking about the first half, you know, trusting your gut. Yeah. And, and hmm. listen, I, I, like, I truly believe like the most important thing that you can state to just build off what, what you were saying is everyone no matter in one aspect of life, want to know that they're going somewhere. Whether it is in life, we, we, we talk about heaven or hell, we, we talk about an organization and that where are we going. And if there is any growth, and I'll tell you even from a Mediacom perspective, uh, the reason we have grown, we have become the fastest growing agency out there in the last four or five years is because we have a flag that we are climbing up the hill with that excites us and our employees. We are building something that is different from the agency. We are building a future car that is just super amazing and sexy that everyone wants to ride and be part of. And that is so critical in everything that you're doing uh, because everyone, again, wants to go somewhere. I love wants that. To know where they're going. I love that. Anoush, I want to say thank you for coming on the show today. This is a fun one. We hit on some new topics uh, that I think our audience is going to absolutely dive into and love. And I cannot wait to, to have you back on the show uh, as we celebrate another year of fast growth <laughs> for me. Hey. No, thank, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for, uh, and, and congratulations for your hundred show as well. <laughs> Thanks, man. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.